Welcome to the Young Crones Cafe, where you can get a magic brew full of all sorts of information, both witchy and practical. Grab a cup and join us. I'm Elizabeth, a wordsmith. And I'm Sue, a visual artist. We are going to talk about various witchcraft and life topics from a slightly more mature perspective, at least most of the time. Thanks so much for joining us. On the path, which is the name for our personal witchcraft practices, we've spent a great deal of time discussing what we believe and why. These conversations led to the writing of a book full of information about our tradition. We call these thoughts kernels because they are the start of much bigger ideas. We thought we'd share some of these with you, so... Today's metaphysical kernel of thought is Our Core Beliefs, Part 2. The creation and practice of the path tradition arises from eight core beliefs. They deal with how we perceive the divine, the goal of balance, the concept of the hedge, crafting, how we celebrate the solar cycle, how we celebrate the lunar cycle, sacred space, and the energies that we work with. All of our beliefs are the result of unconfirmed personal gnosis. To continue on from where we left off last time, here are the rest of our core beliefs. Five, we choose to work with the yearly solar cycle in very different ways. We believe that the stories of relationship between the god and goddess, often told to explain these eight festivals, are actually parables to introduce individuals to the concept of the shifts in energy. We have split the eight into two sets of four. The first are the Sabbaths, which are the solstices and equinoxes, where the focus is on very specific energy shifts between light and dark energies throughout the year. The other four, which we call the cross-quarter times, are actually periods of time where the energy of one of the physical elements is more accessible, allowing us to focus on specific workings dealing with inspiration and creativity, growth of our practice foundations, analyzing our personal beliefs, and emotional work on a yearly basis. Six, we celebrate all aspects of the moon cycle, not just the full moon, as needed for ritual or spell work. We also place special focus on the time exactly opposite the full moon, which we term the dark nights of the moon. This is the three-day period where we cannot see the moon in the sky. We believe that there is a strengthened, receptive energy available at this time. Seven, to us, all space is sacred. So when we choose to cast a circle, it is a way to contain the energy we raise for various workings, rather than as a means to sanctify a space or protect from negative energies. Eight, we work to establish connections with the energies of the four physical elements, the genus loci, or spirits of place, the old gods, and the ancestors. Okay, now you have heard us describe our other core beliefs. We split it into two entries because it is kind of a lot to get through all at once. Continuing on from where we left off, we do work with the solar cycle in very different ways. I think a lot of witches celebrate a wheel of the year where things go round and round, and I like that analogy to begin with. But if you've ever seen a sine wave that goes up and down with the peaks and troughs of the various energies, 
I think that's how we started picturing it. And then we realized <laughs> that the solstices and equinoxes are very specific energy dates. You know, it's when it switches from the light half of the dark half of the year and vice versa. And equinoxes is where things meet in the middle. And the other ones don't fit that energy pattern. No, exactly. I, th I think to start with, when we saw the wheel of the year, not as a wheel, because that assumes that you're coming back to the exact same point. We started seeing the wheel of the year as a spring where, yes, you come back around to the point, but you're at a new point because you've grown in the past year. And I think it was from there that we made the switch to the sine wave of, of yes, of course, it's an ongoing pattern of peak light and peak dark. And the rest just fell right into place. Mm -hmm. And I think we started recognizing, too, that the cross-quarter times, because they didn't fit one specific point, they had to fit a longer point of time. So yes. we started thinking in terms of, okay, if this time of year is candle mass, which is what we call this time of year coming up. Coming up, yep. And energy's got to last until the next one, which is Beltane, and so on. And it turned into a seasonal thing. And it it does relate to energies. And we discovered that for us, one of the physical elements is more predominant or even easier for us to access and work with, depending on the seasons. And I don't think we were arbitrary in assigning, well, this is this one and this is this one. We recognized that they relate to the energies that we live with, the weather and the seasons oh. and all of that, so that what we call each one and how we relate to that period of time may be very different for somebody else who's living in, say, New Zealand or California because we live in upstate New York. So that our experience of winter in, like, the autumnal rains and the wind cycles that we get during the summer and so on kind of influenced our experience of the elements more than anything else. Absolutely. And, it, and I hope that it encourages people not to just cookie cutter what we're doing. I mean, you can absolutely do that to, to try and see, but go ahead and look and feel what is it. I mean, if you're living in the same type of um, latitude or that we are, you may experience the same thing, but you know, I've always kind of been fascinated with those who are practicing uh, an earth-based religion who are in a different hemisphere. I mean, I can't even comprehend in my mind Christmas without snow. That's just, it's so <laughs> diametrically opposed in my, in my understanding. But I want people to have this as a jumping off point of saying, oh, yeah, well, let me take a look and see. What do I feel? What is going on right now around me? It's, I think it's building that awareness. I think the longer you practice witchcraft, because it is connected to the earth, for want of a better word, you start to learn more about your local connections. You know, that it's not world. Some things are universal, like the lunar cycle. 
every 28 days, the moon is a new full moon and so on. And when we first started practicing, it was all about having an espad at the full moon and the full moon and the full moon. And that's all you ever heard about. And there's a whole bunch of other pieces of the moon every day. It's slightly different in that 20 or 29 and a half day or whatever it is cycle. So that things do shift and change. And you get so many people who say, oh, you can't do magic at the dark moon. And sorry, that's bullshit. You know, we have learned that it's a powerfully receptive energy is available. Absolutely. In fact, that statement, you can't do magic, blah, 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 blah. There isn't any. No, I don't think so. And I think our emphasis on flipping that switch a little bit, and so many people think of that dark time of the month as being the end of the lunar cycle. And you and I have discovered that for us, it's the beginning. It's the beginning. It's, it's where everything starts. So, you know, I think it's just a different perspective. And it's a lot of fun to recognize as part of our practices that we're allowed to have all those different perspectives. Oh, it, and it's actually, if you think about it, it's both the beginning and the ending. It depends on what you choose to focus on. Exactly. I think so. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same idea of sacred space. I mean, when we first started learning about the practice of witchcraft, there was such an emphasis on you always has to cast circle and you had to call the elements and you had to do it in a specific order. And God forbid somebody should walk counterclockwise around a circle kind of thing. The world is going to end and we're going to be under attack by malevolent influences all the time. And I think the longer we have done this, we recognize that space is sacred, whether we think of it in those terms all the time or not. Everything is innately sacred because it comes from like what we term the all that is. Correct. So, it's it's we, like being being sacred yourself. You don't need to bless yourself to be sacred. You are sacred. Exactly. I think blessing yourself is a reaffirmation of that sacredness. It's that reminder piece. Yeah. So now when we actually cast circle in ritual, it's because we know we're going to raise some kind of energy that we're. Oh, and do we ever? Oh, yeah. Well, we can't (laughs) go there today. Okay. That's a whole other episode, but it's fun. But raising energy, you have to have somewhere to put it until you're ready to. Send it out into the universe. When you've gathered up enough and then shoot it off to do whatever it is you're sending it out to do, it's like putting water in a bottle. I mean, you can have water in your hands, which is dripping all over the place. Mm -hmm. But if you have a container, it gives it a space. You can see how full it is Mm -hmm. and gather it up and then pour it out in a more controlled manner. And I think that is our real reason for casting circles and creating quote-unquote, sacred space. Well, and I think it it reinforces your own ability to be able to see and feel how much energy you're building up. And I don't know, from my, my experience, then you can decide. Sometimes you want a squirt gun. Sometimes you want a super soaker. Exactly. It depends on what you're working on. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that idea of a magical containment as opposed to a magical barrier. Yes. Exactly. Quite frankly, when you're working 
with different energies if they're supposed to assist it would seem rude to trap them inside a barrier while you were creating things <laughs> i don't know i mean we work with the energies of the four physical elements obviously the traditional you know air fire waterers mm-hmm. and they manifest they're the building blocks of everything when you think about it but mm-hmm. or our own genus loci I mean, there are spirits of place all over the place, and some are willing to work with you, and some tell you basically to F off, you know. and It's, and it's not their thing. It's not their thing. And what we call the old gods and the ancestors, and to us, they are very different types of energies. And because they are different than human energy, they react differently and I think it's the height of rudeness as a human to think we can command the gods, as it were, to do anything. That's true. <laughs> that, 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 I think that, for want of a better word, is, is an example, the greatest example of hubris I've ever heard of. That I, I always felt that way at the end of rituals where people would dismiss <laughs> the gods or the corners or something like Okay, you can leave now. Yes. And no, first off, I want your energy around me all the time. But it's more of a thank you. You know, Mm -hmm. thank you for being here. We invite too. we don't. Yes. And we invite the energies to come work with us if they choose to do so. I mean, as humans, there are times we don't feel like doing things or getting out of bed in the morning, as it were, or whatever. Were we to presume that these energies are available whenever we feel like doing something? Well, and I think this goes back a little bit to the cross-quarter times of learning to sense and feel what is available to use. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't demand that an element be with you if... In this time of the year, it's not really that available. It will be there as much as it can for you, but you also have to be aware of reality. I think so. You know, I think we have evolved our practice from feeling like we're in charge because we're the ones who are doing ritual. And that's kind of what we learned and how things were done. You know, when we came first came around as it were, I think as a practice, witchcraft has evolved to be a little less demanding over the years. But when you think about it, that's how you started out. You had to be in the center and you had to be the one who called or demanded that everything show up and do things in a certain prescribed way. And as we have learned more about these energies, it's like we said with the entry piece about the solar cycle that very often the wheel is shown as a rela- a growing and changing in relationship between a god and goddess mm-hmm. throughout the year. And we've recognized that those are really kind of parables. Those stories that they tell younger people or inexperienced people or people who haven't encountered this kind of stuff before, mm-hmm. it's like an introduction. Mm-hmm. This is the way these things kind of change. And when you strip back, the word God and goddess, you recognize that it's all about that eternal dance of the energies. Absolutely. More than anything else. Yeah. The gods may, be, may or may not be involved in that process. I don't know. 
you know, I wouldn't presume to ask God what they're doing in that sense, or is this how you see the world? Because it's probably, you're probably going to get a resounding no. Well, um, it's, it's, yeah, beyond my understanding. Different understanding, yes. Yes. Exactly. Each of these has a different energy signature, a different understanding, and I don't know if they understand us any better than we understand them just because we are so different, but the fact that I can invite the energy of the air to help me, for instance, if I ask mm -hmm. that, you know, and yeah, I, I don't demand, I may or may not get help, you know, but when I do, I make sure I say thank you. Mm-hmm. Same as I would if I asked, you know, and I expect politeness out of my grandchildren, you know, please and thank you and those basic necessities of how you ask for stuff. I damn well better follow them in my own spiritual practices because they're important. <laughs> that is true. Exactly. I think so. Well, when you think about it, um, that's kind of a basic introduction to our core beliefs. There will be other podcasts that feature different pieces of these things we'll do one, you know, we'll do one about each of the different types of energies that we work with and so on and so forth. But I think the biggest takeaway we want people to know is that all of our beliefs are equally important. They're written, you know, in a nice numbered list for ease of understanding and kind of keeping the same pieces of belief together, like the solar cycle is all in one entry, but they're all equally important. None, it's not like a hierarchy, like one is more important than eight. Exactly. Yes. They're all, they could all be labeled one, but then it would be hard to have a discussion about number one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was a really good way to put that. So well, thank you. Said. I think that's everything about this particular metaphysical carnival of thought. Witch stones are a divination tool we created as part of our practice that deals with what we call concrete stones, specific types and kinds of energy, and conceptual stones, things and ideas about witchcraft, which can be read with either a seen or an unseen meaning. Recently, we have developed a set of oracle cards using this information. We would like to introduce you to one of these stones right now. In today's spotlight, we'll be looking at the witch stone East. Concrete stones focus on a specific physical energy rather than a concept. And the first four concrete stones are the four cardinal directions. The witch stone East displays a pictograph of the capital letter E in the color white. For those of us who walk the path, which is what we call our spiritual practice, each direction is associated with a time of day and a color that represents it. East is dawn, the first rays of the rising sun, which is symbolized by the color white. Each direction is also associated with one of the four physical elements of the craft. East is linked with air, smoke, and its energy. Air-slash-smoke energy correspondences include new ideas and knowledge, the intellect and inspiration, and communications and memory. We who follow the path have added smoke to air energy because it is a visual representation of this element. 
Air is the only physical element that you cannot see in its natural form. The winds of air blow through you and open you up to new ideas and increase your knowledge of the unseen worlds. Air, because it is associated with breathing, also enhances communications and allows us to remember what we value. The scene energy for the East Stone in a reading is air energy, our breath, and inspiration. Learning about air smoke energy makes the other two meanings clearer. The breath has been referred to across many cultures as the life force itself. After all, we need oxygen to fuel our minds and bodies. Taking time to connect with this energy through the practices of mindfulness and meditation can open you up to new ideas and better communication abilities. Inspiration is about coming up with new ideas. We often have thoughts that seem to, to demand our attention or that spring up out of the unknown. This stone is telling you to pay attention to those ideas and not discount them as frivolous or impossible. The unseen energy for this East Stone in a reading is air energy, a need to catch your breath, and garbled communications. Air energy is always present, and what changes may be your perception of it. Need to catch your breath may be a clear indication that you may need to slow down and figure out what ideas to focus on or what actions to take next. It is a signal to take the time to think about your next move instead of moving forward without consideration. Garbled communications is almost self-explanatory. You may not be expressing yourself clearly because strong emotions, such as anger or excitement, may be making it difficult or you may not be understanding what others are trying to express to you. Again, take a deep breath so that you can focus on the message themselves and not the feelings attached to them. Before we go, we'd like to present you with a tip or trick or witchy hint, just something to make your day go better because we live in a mixture of the magical and the mundane. Here's a tip for managing your mind on the mundane. At the end of the day, when you're exhausted, you know you need to lay down and go to sleep, but your mind is still focused on everything you have to get through tomorrow, and you can't fall asleep. Not only that, but it interferes with your satisfaction of knowing you've completed another day, and it keeps you from living in the present moment. I find the best way to manage this is to create an uber form of a to-do list. It's not an ordinary list where you're just writing out what needs to be done. Literally, I sit there and write down everything that's in my head without censoring, that I think I have to do, that I know I have to do, the crazy thoughts about what I need to do as well. Just literally dump it all out on the paper. Now, I sort and create a new list once that's done. First, I look for items that I know there is no way in hell they are going to get done tomorrow or next week or even ever. And I wonder why I put them on the list, but I cross them off. So they're now officially off that list. I tell myself they are gone. Now I go back and find the items that I absolutely have to do tomorrow. 
you know, those time-sensitive ones, like that dentist appointment at 8 o'clock in the morning, or the fact that your kid has to be picked up from soccer practice at 4. These are needs, not wants. I list all those in the order that I can get through them. Then I find things I might get to out of what is left and stick them at the bottom of my new list. The idea is if I get to them, great. If I don't, I don't. Now, I get into bed again. I try to relax. And if my brain starts revving up, I remind myself over and over that I have my list until I can get to sleep. Not only is it a way to get organized, but it's also a way to give yourself permission to remember that you are not perfect, that you are not ever going to get everything crossed off some imaginary list in your head. Well, it looks like the coffee cups are empty for this week. We hope you join us again next Tuesday, but you can find us at our website, twoyoungcrones.com. That's the number two, young crones, all one word. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And our Twitter handle is at Two Young Crones. Check out our merch at our Teespring store. We also have a Patreon account called The Young Crones Cafe, where you can support the podcast if you enjoy our efforts. Until then, remember, we are witches who work with energies to affect change. We are believers in both imminent and transcendent divine. We are celebrants of the passage of the solar and lunar cycles. We are hedgewalkers who pass back and forth between the worlds of the magical and the mundane. We are seekers of knowledge. We are walkers of a spiritual tradition we call the path. So mote it be. So mote it be.